0: Food is just a unifier, right? Like what better way to, to, to understand a culture than the very act of eating food that has been cooked and, and also understanding the nuance and the history of the different types of food.
1: We've heard from Naduk in earlier episodes about how her global perspectives on culture have informed her outlook, and honestly, she's right about food being basically the window into the soul of another culture, and even our own cultures. Many of the meals that we know and love today tell us a lot about a country's history, its class hierarchy, colonial influences, and even the climate. I've always been interested to learn about how things I naively thought as uniquely Jamaican, like condensed milk or plantain, are extremely prevalent in many other cultures around the world. It's a reminder that we're often more closely connected than some people might want to believe. Now I know, honestly, we live in an increasingly connected and globalized world. So it's not as difficult to find this type of information as it once was. But I was happy to hear that I wasn't the only one who had these misconceptions growing up. Here's duke again.
0: Sri Lanka is fascinating because, you know, we were colonized by not just the Brits, but also the Portuguese and the Dutch. And so you know, we have food that is so heavily influenced through colonization, where I remember as a child of what I thought, you know, was very Sri Lankan food. I'll give you an example, flan. I always thought it was a Sri Lankan dish. And then I realized afterwards, I was like, oh, okay, so it's actually rooted in Portugal, right?
1: This is, So What Are You?
2: I don't have just one culture.
3: So even if you say you're born here, where are you actually from?
2: It's not even speaking Pato, so I mean, I know what that is.
4: How do I recover? Make the food.
3: Why aren't you curious? Why doesn't anyone
5: want to know?
1: A six part series that explores our complex relationships to our cultural identities. I'm Melissa Houghton. Now, there are five commonly accepted love languages. But I'd like to argue that food for many people is probably the unofficial sixth love language. So many of my own fondest family memories involve food. Whether it was the scent of plantain frying, or trying to laugh through a long prayer before being free to dig into a meal at the holidays, or seeing a pot of cornmeal porridge bubbling on the stove, Food is present in a lot of my favorite memories. And for so many of us, building relationships with our family members took place with food as a key participant. Whether it was learning to prepare a dish of cultural significance alongside a parent, maybe because they probably didn't use any measurements so you had to watch to catch what they were actually doing, or maybe it's a relative asking if you've eaten as a way to show love, like in my friend Selena's case.
6: i feel like i i say this like a an important piece of self-disclosure but now i kind of say it all the time so here we go yeah when i was younger like well culturally i feel like food is very important my family's caribbean so my dad was like a big cook in my household and when i was younger he wasn't he's not a very verbally affectionate person like there's no doubt in my mind that uh, he still loves me and he's like caring for me but My mom was very verbally affectionate, so there's two sides of that. So my mom would always say, I love you, and so I would always say, I love you. And I'd say, I love you to my dad, and my dad would be like, did you eat? And (laughs) it connected food and love for me really strongly because now, like, I refuse to cook for anyone who's not someone I care about. Yeah, food is, like, my main my main form of interaction. Like, I don't know how to describe that, but... Cooking is like a spiritual experience for me. Cooking for others is an, an important experience for me. Sharing food, breaking bread, that's that's so core to how I interact with others.
1: It's clear that how our families approached food has a lifelong impact on us. From the types of seasonings we use to the way we even think about approaching sharing a meal with someone. For Naduk, whose family moved around a lot growing up, creating space for a variety of flavors was extremely important.
0: So my father was a lover of food. He was an amazing, amazing cook. And one of the things that he always made us appreciate was Sri Lankan food. And so my connection to food is is huge. Mind you, I would say, you know, he also ensured that in all the countries we lived in, we also developed a strong sense of identity for the places that we were living in so that we weren't just sort of tourists for two or three years.
1: And like Naduk, my dad, who we heard from and about in the first episode of the series, credits my grandmother's sense of adventure for helping to develop his passion for food, which unsurprisingly continues with my brother and I.
7: My mom and I used to sort of spend a lot of time in the kitchen, but we at about 11, I think she started teaching us how to cook, how to season, how to um, get, things together to cook culturally food but my mother was open to everything she loved rice and peas. she loved pizza she loved greek food she loved whatever came across our table so it was just kind of so i i had a passion for food loved food
1: I've always felt like, regardless of which culture it comes from, good food is good food. So it was both surprising and completely understandable to see that so many people have grown up with the same cross-culture appreciation for flavours from around the world, especially in a city like Toronto.
5: Food is very important in my family. It's like so important. So if I can keep that and like pass that Along to you know future generations, that is something that I value a lot. I want to reference my father, Frank. He has always been a huge foodie, and my dad cooks all cuisines. Like that's also how we grew up with all types of food at home. Is because my dad, my even like even jerk, like I'm um, I'm sure it's not as good as yours or your family's, but like he's made like homemade jerk marinating, like marinate the chicken for days and then cook it because that's also his favorite. So we 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 grew up with a lot of different cuisines.
1: I couldn't help but smile hearing Ola describe her dad's love of culinary exploration. And I mean like, who can really argue with jerk chicken, unless you're vegan, then like I suppose you can. But I digress. It reminded me so much of my own dad, but in a very parallel way. Ola's heritage is largely Italian and her family appreciates Caribbean flavors, and my heritage is... Jamaican, but my dad, as we heard in episode one, grew up in little Italy, and fondly remembers getting food from his Italian neighbors. They
7: would just... They'd share everything. They'd garden. They'd give us tomatoes every year. They'd do prosciutto. I, I remember they'd, we'd come home, and and like I said, the neighborhood was so good that when you came home, if your parents were not home, you could knock on your neighbor's door and go go hang out until your parents came. And they'd give us Nutella and uh, an Italian bread that was, you know, or prosciutto or tomatoes or what have you. So it was a cool neighborhood.
1: Now, my dad hasn't lived in Little Italy for some time, and while he might not be getting fresh prosciutto from his neighbors these days, families like Ola's are making sure that Italian culinary traditions are kept alive.
5: Curing meats is huge in South Italy, so my dad cures a lot of homemade meats. My my late grandfather was big on that, and when he died, my dad was determined to perfect that and i and i've only realized that a short time ago that why my dad has been extra really focused on that is that it's like something really went off because my grandfather was like the the progenitor on my dad's side and loving and appreciating food he worked in manual labor all his life and he really just at the end of the day wanted to come home and enjoy a meal that he worked hard to to bring home for the family and part of that was just homemade wine cured meats bread, things like that. And so my dad has been, you know, a testament to that preservation because he was just super determined after to learn everything about that or or at least delve into it like he had never before. And that now has become a huge part of my father's identity. So that's something like curing meats, cured meats like I'm uh, my dad's gonna hate on me for this because he makes fun of me and says, You only eat it when you go out to cool bars and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of true, but you know, um But but it's it's something really important. Those are true practices that people forget. Those are lost arts, is what I call them, especially with cuisine and heritage. Those are lost arts because that goes back to like preserving for the sake of like you had to.
1: While the flavors of the foods that we've grown up with hold a lot of nostalgia. It's fair to say that a lot of the preparations don't reflect our current situations today in many cases. With fridges and freezers more widely accessible, pickling and salting for preparation, which are in a lot of recipes that I think many cultures love, don't serve the same purpose as they likely did in times past. So with that in mind, how do we keep the spirit of these traditions while making them realistic to where we're at today. For my cousin Zimbo, food provided a surprisingly welcoming access point for helping them reconnect with their Guyanese heritage in particular.
4: You know, there's certain foods that like, my mom will never make because my dad's not into it and they're like Guyanese dishes, like she's big on okra, she wants to make kautam, she wants to do different things and, you know, and also like, you know, fighting shark to make is really I don't know if it's difficult, but, like, it's hard to get people to eat it, because they're like, oh, it's shark. (laughs) People are like, no, not baby shark. (laughs) Not to say it's all meat, but it's just, like, different dishes that, you know, wouldn't come into the house. Like, I sometimes end up, like, craving those things, and I, like, try to encourage my mom to even crave those things. I'm like, I will eat this with you, you know, and it's weird that food becomes a place of camaraderie it's weird that food becomes a place of like because it's not the first thing you think of you know where it's like oh how do i recover it's like no make make the food right because the food is what's gonna be internalized really and give you a sense of self but it it does not
1: Earlier, we heard how Ola's father is keeping the Italian tradition of curing meat alive in their family. And for Ola, baking is a big aspect of what keeps her close to her roots.
5: When it comes to that preservation and stuff that I've delved into myself, a huge thing is baking. Traditional baking recipes. For my, my grandmother, my, my paternal grandmother, shout out Pasqualina, she she bakes without like recipe or measuring right like I'm sure you know like you know you see your grandparents or your parents cook and it's just like no measurement just memory and so that is how she bakes she bakes like awesome like lemon cakes and cookies and a traditional cookie that I've taken up that has become a tradition for me to make around holidays every year is pizzelle. and pizzelle is like a waffle cookie and yeah and and so you you make the the batter and I have a recipe for it and uh, it's a lot of eggs, a lot of sugar. I've um, kind of added in my own flair to it by adding in like liqueurs or different flavorings to kind of add a little something to it, but I try to stay pretty traditional. I have like a maker, like there's like an iron that you put the the batter in and it bakes and it's just like 30 seconds and you make the little waffle cookies and I've done cool things with them. (laughs)
3: i know when i was growing up sunday dinner was a big thing where you know throughout the week we would eat good but then sunday you'd have like the oxtail be ready and the rice and peas and the jerk chicken and everything would be like laid out i can't keep up with that so much these days but i try to make sure that one my children are getting jamaican food on a regular basis and are familiar with what it is and have no issues with it but i try to maintain kind of that aspect of okay here's when we create something special together when we gather around the table together and eat and enjoy this food that might be a little bit more decadent than we have time to do throughout the week and all those types of things
1: this is B. Kwame, who we've heard from earlier throughout the series. She's a writer, radio host, cultural critic, and mom of Jamaican heritage. And we've heard a lot of her perspective throughout this series, but I think what really stood out for me is what she said in relation to making sure that the traditions of her family work with her lifestyle now. I personally know that there can be feelings of guilt sometimes when we take shortcuts, particularly in the space of food, which can feel very sacred. Maybe that means buying a pie crust instead of making it from scratch or using a rice cooker instead of standing over the stove. But honestly. Honestly, at the end of the day, evolution is important and sometimes unavoidable. And it's how we can make sure that the traditions are sustainable because they need to reflect to a certain degree the lives that we live today as well. For my childhood friend, Matt, when it comes to tradition, he thinks that looking forward is equally as important as looking back. Like, can you think of things that you care to preserve?
2: I feel like my family was very traditional growing up, which also kind of sheltered me. So I would probably like maybe change that in my traditions, like a little bit less traditional than like my family members are or my upbringing was. But the things that I would keep was definitely like a lot of like family oriented things. Like my family did a lot of like holidays together. So I would definitely keep that going. Um, And then also some Jamaican cuisine and like dishes like I would, not that I know how to make a lot of them, but like just if I have kids in the future and just share with them actual Jamaican oxtail and like curry goat and like obviously like rice and peas. I saw this, I saw this Jamaican restaurant. I don't know if it was a Jamaican restaurant, but I saw this meme that was taken down the other day because it had white rice and like literal green peas in it. And it was called, they were calling it like rice and peas. And I was like, no, that is not rice and peas.
1: Evolution is not only about how we view and reinvent our traditions and recipes. It's also about changing how we view and understand our cuisines as well. Particularly in the case of what's considered quote-unquote ethnic cuisine. I mean even I myself have been unintentionally guilty of this. Why do we Bulk at paying $18 for a plate of oxtail but in another case might not even blink an eye paying $20 for a plate of pappardelle. B thinks this needs to change.
3: I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about the ways we can elevate Caribbean food where it's not just seen as you know, casual, let me just run in. You know, we have these jokes about you run in and we're not out of that, we're not out of that. And that's true. That's true. But then there's the other side of okay, so how do we do different things with our food? Maintaining the authenticity, but you know, having a range, right? So I want to be able to maintain traditions that continue with the the weight and the importance of the of the culture itself.
1: It's also interesting because sometimes evolution isn't as voluntary as we'd like. The price of oxtail is a hot topic right now, largely because it has increased significantly in price and has gained a lot more widespread popularity. But my dad remembers when this wasn't exactly the case.
7: Everyone used to shop at Kensington Market back then. We didn't have a lot of supermarkets, so we'd go on every Thursday, and things like tripe or oxtail or, or fish head, the butchers would give that to us free because they were throwing it away. Food like that, it was just, no one wanted that. <laughs> now it's like you can't afford it. Back then, sort of cultural food was frowned upon, so you were really embarrassed to tell anyone what you ate.
1: What does this mean for the future? How do we approach the sometimes competing priorities of evolution and cultural preservation? Zimbal thinks that documentation is one way.
4: Amanda Paris came up with this wonderful play called Other Side of the Game and one of the things that she talked about is, you know, the importance of documenting because if you don't document it, we forget it and we repeat and so, but that's like in a different context, but I think in terms of like recipes, like the idea of making a book full of recipes based off of different cultural pieces of knowledge around food it's so smart and so important because we need something written down i know we're i know not we some folks are worried about co-optation it's already happening (laughs) (laughs) so it only makes sense for us to evolve some of the things that we're doing. Whether that's integrating certain parts of our Canadian culture into it, or certain foods that we found around the way, or, you know, we're in a very diverse place where people are bringing all different types of spices illegally, (laughs) and legally, and legally, from other lands. (laughs) And introducing it into, you know, kind of like our food ecosystem, it also, you know, changes the flavor of how we do things and, you know, maybe it also helps us get comfortable with our outsideness in a sense because it's like, you know, we may not get necessarily, you know, grandma's cooking from out in the yard, but like we can definitely take some of the things that we saw and be like, huh, how do we reinvent this for us here now with what's available?
1: I feel like we've talked enough about the serious aspects of what food means to us but the fact remains in many cases food is ultimately or should ultimately be about joy it brings us together it's a way of showing that we care about each other and it speaks to the resilience of our cultures and honestly that should be celebrated plus it does taste good I asked some of the people you've heard from throughout the series to tell me about food. What they like to cook with, what they like to eat, who helped them to appreciate food. And I feel like at this point, you should just hear from them directly.
0: My favorite ingredient is coconut. I just, I love the creaminess of coconut. I love coconut water. When I was a child, one of my favorite things at at my grandparents' place was they would bring young king coconut which was the orange uh, colored coconut and they would bring it down from the coconut tree and then we would you know they would cut off the top drink all the coconut water and then they would slice it in half and you'd they'd make a spoon out of the coconut husk and then we would use that to like scoop out all the soft flesh and eat it and so i know coconuts like the in thing right now but it's just i think always been throughout my entire life a constant that i've always absolutely loved so i don't know it's an ingredient i suppose but even on its own it's phenomenal
5: on my mom's side we always grew grew up like having like you know arroz con pollo or like uh like arepas and things like that plantain huge at home like always always plantain press like always have plantain in the house i i try to have it at home a lot too so that's always been like a regular like Item I grab at the grocery store out of like reflex
7: now. Uh, Sunday nights she'd bake bread. I remember that. And we would, um, I would be up with her while she'd have the bread rise and what have you and then bake it. And then she could hardly cut the bread because it was so hot. And I'd get sort of the first slice and slather butter on it and, and uh, <laughs> you know, could barely eat it. And she'd make me out uh, tea and what have you and we'd, we'd hang out that way. So, one thing I really love
4: about being. You know, Jamaican, Guyanese, and also getting to enjoy other bodyless food is like eating with my hands. You know, for a long time, eating with your hands is seen as a thing kids do and only kids do. Uh, but to know that there's a whole cul- culture and custom with eating with your hands um, makes me feel so happy and also makes me look less of a mess because sometimes eating with a fork and coordinating. It's not always easy. Some of the foods that we're eating, I'm like, this food is, like, ready to drop. Like, it's not even of consistency where it's meant to hold on a fork. And here we are, for the sake of social conditioning, doing it. No. Get me something I can eat with my hands. Period.
0: Okay, so what do I like to cook? Oh, my gosh. Um... I can honestly say that there is no single cuisine that I make at home that I wouldn't call a favorite. <laughs> it's that, that's probably a cop-out answer, but, but genuinely, and I mean, we, we have a very, div- like at home, we have a very diversified um, menu. I'll give you an example of like just the last few days. I was laughing about it. So tonight, tonight we're having Haitian griot. And, you know, last night, we had like a Chinese style stir fry. The night before that, we had Thai curry. The night before that, we had Sri Lankan curry. So, and, and, and all of these foods for me are comfort foods.
4: Curry, love curry. Never get rid of curry.
5: <laughs> Another traditional item that I make every year is crostata, which is like a lattice pie, and that's more central Italian, northern, but it's pretty widespread across the country. It's like just like a traditional pie, like everyone knows what like little crisscross like fruit pies are i make everything from scratch i even make like the almond flour from scratch sometimes and i have different like um trays for it different sizes i make the filling from scratch like everyone knows there's a time like around christmas like in november that get out of the kitchen ola needs it for 10 hours and that's how long it takes it takes forever and it's a science and that's why baking is so special
4: I would really like more roti in my life, period. So I also really like injera. I know it's not mine, but you know, the Ethiopians did it right. I love it. And uh, yeah, keep eating, (laughs) y'all.
1: I interviewed my friend Stephanie, for another project I was working on recently. And she shared this story that I felt was too perfect not to share as part of this series. Stephanie is also of Caribbean descent and she basically encapsulated everything I've been trying to put together about the cultural importance of food so perfectly. And so I think this is the story that should take us to the end of the series. Here's Stephanie.
8: I went to the University of Toronto and I met a professor there and after I graduated he and I kept in touch and we would go out for dinners and then after the end of dinner we were just so enthralled with a conversation we were having and he uh, he would bid me farewell by saying I'm gonna have you over next time for dinner and I thought that was the fucking nicest thing Um, And he's a man of color, so he understands what that means for people from diaspora. And growing up in a West Indian culture, a hallmark of that is insisting people come over and eat and bond over the, the communalness that is food. And that's a way of showing love and care. And that's been ingrained in me since... I was a child and I really, really love that ethos and I really try to emulate that and extend that to my friends. And so it's really important for me and it fulfills me to invite people and host them in my home. Even though I don't really know them that well, I'm still willing to do that because food and cooking a meal for someone to me is the utmost sign of community and care. You can show someone saying, I'm welcoming you into my home as you are. You don't need to do anything or change any part of yourself. And you're welcome to experience this food with me that I've cooked for you is a sign of, I think, incredible
1: love. So What Are You was produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Melissa Houghton. with music from Fugue, Ryan Little, Silent Partner, Ketza, Himalaya, and Dural. For more information about this series and to see links to some of the things I mentioned, you can visit my website, which is melissahoughton.com, that's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-H-A-U-G-H-T-O-N, Dot com. If you're enjoying the series, please leave a review and tell your homies. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa H A U T E. Thanks for listening. And thank you to everyone who spoke to me for this project my dad, Everett Haughton. my brother, Jaden Houghton, Zimbo Fukara, B Kwame, Souza, Ola Mazuka, Matthew Edwards, Helena Morgan, Selena Mendez, Stephanie Sawa, Manit Dhalawal, Zoe David Dells, and anyone else who I might have forgotten, but I probably didn't, but if I did, sorry. And if you like this series, please leave a review, share, and subscribe.